We now move into the hour of a public affair. It's the first Thursday of the month, and John Lindorf and Chef Daniel Asher are in to chew the fat with two other local foodies and to take your calls. Good morning to all of you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome uh, around the uh, extremely large uh, KGNU Worldwide uh, kitchen table here. You know, pull up a seat and uh, grab some coffee and... uh, you know, frankly, everyone here is, is in favor of fat and, and chewing it because uh, fat is flavor. And uh, my guests uh, today, well, Dan Asher is here. You know him from uh, Ashkara, Root Down, and uh, River and Woods. Hey, everybody. And uh, joining us, Paolo Nabil. He's the uh, chef at 95A in uh, Lafayette. Welcome. Thanks. Good to see you, John. And uh, also with us, uh, Michael Keynes. Uh, he's the uh, co-owner, founder, yes. founder of uh, Moksha Chocolate in Boulder. It's a uh, bean-to-bar artisan uh, chocolate maker, uh, you know, from scratch. And uh, we are going to talk about a whole range of uh, issues from uh, how restaurants are doing uh, during COVID, how COVID impacted chefs, how the environment uh, has impacted uh, cacao growing, and uh, also whatever uh, else is on your mind, because we really want your calls. Uh, And uh, that number is? That number is right there. It's uh, 303-442-4242. And uh, so uh, call us up uh, if you have questions as the hour hour, uh, goes along. Um, Michael, why don't you start a little bit, just introduce, tell, tell, tell me a little bit about the company and uh, what you guys are doing. Um, we, we started uh, uh, very surreptitiously when my uh, brother-in-law called me one day and said, would you like to buy a, a cacao farm in Peru? And of course, I immediately said yes. And chose the time to tell my wife at a later date (laughs) yeah yeah so uh it was it was a very strange experience but uh moving into a community and trying to find a way to you know help without taking over was very challenging so it's been six years now we've been working with our farmers in the uh, uh, Rio Mayo Valley in uh, northeastern Peru and um it's you know like uh I get to go to the jungle and live in a tent for a month and walk barefoot through the, you know, the forest and bathe in the river and you know. So for That's me, it's, yeah, it's very, very rewarding. Uh, and you you produce this range of uh, chocolate bars. Uh, th- that are single origin from different uh, places. Yes, we uh, we also work with a group in Belize, um, a, a Maya tribe, a, a Maya Mopan tribe, and also we 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 get beans from other origins. The the whole thing about um, cacao is it's very much like uh, uh, wine in respect to variety, terroir, you know, all the different aspects. So depending on how it's handled and then what I do to it, it brings out different characteristics. Great. And uh, we're going to talk in a minute. Uh, Moksha has just introduced a new line of uh, mushroom-infused chocolate. 
and so uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, CBD, you guys also do? Yeah, CBD was our first product we started many years ago, uh, and the reason for the CBD is um, because of the synergistic properties of cannabinoids and um, the, what what's actually the naturally occurring alkaloids that are in cacao as well. They're very very similar and act on the same parts of the brain. And, and fat. Fat is good yeah. for, for conveying uh, CBD and uh, other things. Yeah, so so chocolate's very interesting. It's just dry and fat. That's literally all that's in it. Um, it. Nothing dissolves, nothing changes. It's just the fat that encapsulates chocolate during the tempering process. So you have dry ingredients that are fully encapsulated in um, in 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 a you know a crystallized fat product. Right. And, yeah, and. Uh, Paulo, talk a little bit about uh, you know you, you, we we can't talk about your your whole journey, but you're a you're a Boulder uh, native essentially. Sure, you grew sure. up here. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Boulder and uh, really got my cooking start uh, at the Med back in the early '90s, shortly after they had opened and the, La- um, the Laudicios. Yeah, with yeah, the Laudicios. Antonio, and, yeah, yeah. That's great. Uh, Raymundo uh, Laudicio is definitely one of my mentors that I still uh-huh. I still call on uh, spiritually when I need some help in the kitchen. <laughs> um, but it, it, it definitely uh, was an interesting start to my career. And the Med had so many different uh, origins of food. You know, we were doing Spanish food and Italian and Moroccan and French and all these things. And, you know, learning learning how to do that got a little confusing early in the career. Yeah. Like half the time, I didn't even know what kind of food I was cooking. <laughs> 30 years later, I've learned a lot since those days. Yeah. But And, and then uh, at, at 95A... Uh, in Lafayette. Yeah. Um, talk, yes. about, talk a little bit about what you do there. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we have a pretty wide variety of menu options from uh, a lot of different hot and cold tapas. I brought you guys some little samples today. I made this, uh, I do this amazing uh, fermented black garlic uh, hummus, which is a little different. And uh, oh, it's wow. got these really nice earthy tones to it. And people kind of go, wow, this is actually, it tastes like hummus, but it's so much different. But I get to play around with a lot of stuff like that. We used to have a, uh, a full sushi menu as well, mm-hmm. um, which basically went away over the course of COVID right. um, in that it was it was hard to get qualified people to make sure we were continuing to put out a sure. a quality product and and our costs were higher and so we kind of shifted our concept a little bit during covid but um you know i do a wide variety of specials that we rotate every couple weeks and and keeps it fresh for me and my sous chefs to be able to play around with the food and just have fun and that's that's really the most important thing for me with food is that so we have fun doing it every day. That's great. I was just peeking yeah. at that porcini encrusted swordfish special. Yeah. It looked really good. Uh, <laughs> so good. It's selling out the door this week too. That's so. great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what? Why don't you go ahead? Uh, yeah, we're we're um, we're getting ready for some um, some great summer menu changes at the restaurants and um, getting dialed in. Again, staffing continues to be a challenge that. Yeah. Um, I think continues to uh, plague the hospitality uh, industry in many uh, ways. The other thing I wanted to ask all three of you, uh, you know, it, it's pretty clear that uh, food prices are rising dramatically. Some of that has to do with shipping. And uh, I'm, I just wanted to, you know, I, people go into restaurants and probably when they're buying chocolate too, and they go, really? 
you know, a ten dollar chocolate bar or whatever, you know, and do you really you really gonna charge that much for a hamburger? So how has uh, how is this? You know, everybody's dealing with inflation, but how has it imp- impacted you? Well, I mean, you know, the the food business in general is notoriously s- a small margin business in the best of times. Um, and when you look at labor costs and food costs, which is always your your, your biggest challenges, um, they usually only go in one direction, which is up. Well, guest perception and value is something you want to keep um, in a reasonable place and and um, not have those sticker mm-hmm. shock moments with guests, but. Well, you know, unfortunately, what what we're looking at now is higher costs than we've ever seen before in every possible category. Pick, pick one ingredient that's gone up dramatically. Um, geez, all of them. I mean, you know, but the interesting thing is, you know, we focus very intensively on uh, small artisanal crafted products like you know when you look at flour how there's been this you know huge shift because of so many different um challenges with um you know not only the the war that's been going on in ukraine but other um challenges with grain and um farming issues that uh you know grain has shot up exponentially but you know we work with um some great folks that are you know really doing amazing work here locally in boulder county and when you when you stick you know, obsessively local in that regard, you can ride those waves as we saw through COVID um, with a very high level of resilience um, and not necessarily face those issues that huge commodity producers are facing. Michael? Um, So uh, for us, slightly different, um, uh, but packaging supplies, shipping costs, shipping, you know, everything, all all of our ingredients. During COVID, um, one of our main uh, ingredients just disappeared. (laughs) <laughs> just, which is what? Well, things like uh, freeze-dried raspberries and, you know, specialty products. Oh, that, wow. Yeah, uh, we, we, we used to buy um, them all <laughs> from from a, a very, uh, a very uh, you know, organic supplier. And all of a sudden we were casting around just for any anything. You know, there was large periods where a lot of very specific ingredients that I use, mm. um, yeah, disappeared entirely. So uh, and, uh, and now? Um, things things are coming back, but again, the costs are, you know, we're looking at 30, 40, 50% inflation on prices, especially, you know, every time I call my packaging supplier, they're like, oh, the price has gone up. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what you did last time. Yeah, but, but yeah, just literally anything you put anything in, you know. Or anything you put anything in, yeah. completely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've found that all of those things, and uh, as you just touched on, variety of products where I've, you know, if I had, four different sizes of you know organic chickens that i could choose from now there's one right if i'm lucky if i can even get an organic bird but exactly but it's it's much harder to hit and you know most of my career the costing has always been pretty simple i look at the the high cost items on the plate the proteins and and kind of go from there and those other things that i put on the plate the sauce the vegetables or starches were always kind of a pretty fixed cost and now i'm going back and they're becoming a much larger chunk of what i'm putting on the plate and so it's it's just taking a lot more time and work Uh, you know we're we're really doing stuff like uh you know exploring all the ways that we can uh cut our costs without having to raise the prices more which includes i assume controlling food waste absolutely and that's you know we're literally like standing by the garbage can and saying what's coming back on the plates that people just aren't eating and we're having to cut our portions down and of course you know 
people always typically have told us, you know, wow, it's a lot of food on the plate. So it's we can afford to cut our portions a little bit and the perceived value is still there. Right. Um, but that's definitely a challenge. And, and you know, taking the time, it, it's taking me twice as much time as the chef to cost and order than it did a year ago. Uh, 100%. Portion's a big deal, too, like cutting down a... Um, like a New York strip from eight ounces to six ounces kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and when it also, you mentioned anything that you put anything in, it has gotten more expensive. Now with a chocolate bar, you can't really negotiate that. But when it comes to, you know, takeout containers and, and whatnot at a restaurant, are you having conversations with uh, your clientele to say, you know, hey, if, if you can eat in, you know, tell us what you need to feel comfortable to be able to eat in so that you're not, you know, just having us purchase a bunch of to-go containers right well i mean in that regard you look at you know a local program like repeater which has been fantastic with um looking at the problem that is takeout containers and this the whole single use mentality that has um, corrupted our planet in so many levels of using something one time and then discarding it um is just a, a terrible um way of going about life in general so you look at the the program that started here which you know we, we're using at our restaurants and has been um very well received and is very intelligent the idea of reusable mm. takeout wear that is you know sanitized and, and reutilized it's but, a great program but is there is there a or less takeout and delivery now? Uh, I mean, from our experience, yes. Uh, People are coming back into the restaurant. They feel more They are, and, and especially this time of year. So we have a pretty decent-sized patio at 95A where we can fit 80-plus people. Oh, and that's so, big. Yeah, so as, we, as, as the weather's gotten nicer, uh, people do request sitting outside more often than they did before. But, you know, as opposed to in the height of COVID when we were doing you know a ton of our business in takeout it's dropped back to kind of levels that we saw before it's still a bigger slice of our revenue that was before covid but right. but it's not a huge part of it anymore and um people you know, are coming out needing which is necessary and yeah appreciated on yeah. many levels did, yeah did you guys have uh, the the glove wars the problem with oh my oh, gosh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah the glove situation it's, was crazy it still yeah. is yeah yeah, yeah. It, i mean the, like for one that was the cost, for a case a crazy gloves. crazy yeah. costs yeah. i mean bananas I, I think we've i even had a couple weeks where i literally just couldn't get them yeah. i yeah. couldn't get gloves and you know but one thing that i think has been a benefit to the industry too is from covid was that it made us even more hyper aware of our sanitation practices mm -hmm. 100%. and what we do and it was like okay for that week that we literally couldn't get gloves i had to get with my staff and say you know like hospital this style is, yeah this is this is what we need to do and we're it's literally you, you know hands. yeah rubbing our hands <laughs> raw with the amount of time yeah. that you're washing them and, yeah <laughs> so and um, so uh, this is a, a public affair. This is a, a Nibbles public affair. I'm John Lendorf. And um, we'd love to have any questions that you have about dining out in Boulder, about uh, sustainability. Chocolate. Uh, about chocolate, especially. And um, or you can call 303-442-4242. Uh, uh, We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess are uh, Paolo Neville, he's chef at 95A, um, and uh, we should talk about uh, the future of hot dogs, too. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And M Michael Keynes of uh, Moksha uh, Chocolate in Boulder, and um, we're going to 
talk about uh, mushrooms in uh, chocolate and of course uh, the wonderful uh, Daniel Asher hello and so uh, <laughs> call us call us and uh, with your questions so um, let's talk about mushrooms they've, they've come up a few times lately on uh, on radio nibbles there's a lot of uh, mushroom growers and things so we just had yeah we just had uh, Justin on from mycocosm yeah yeah which was great as a local mushroom grower and Michael your background is horticulture is that right yeah, so I'm a, um, a horticulturalist and, and I, I, I say an, an undergraduate um, native ecologist, so uh, not quite, but wow. it's a good best way to explain it. So I'm from that uh, uh, what's called bush regeneration. So That's uh, great. So it's regenerative. So that informs a lot of your decision making as far as the, the challenges with cacao is we were speaking earlier which I, did, I didn't even realize was happening due to climate change which is pretty yeah I, I i look at environments as effect you know edge um or, or you know we we talk about sustainability in cacao it's sort of hard to take that seriously yeah. <laughs> it's not really uh, so it's, it's not really a thing sustainability in any monocultural uh, agricultural system is hard to to you know mm-hmm. hard, hard to believe but um yeah cacao is very specific uh, because of its environment being so uh it's, it's 10 degrees each side of the equator so it's a 20 degree band that cacao grows in okay and and that seems to be an environment that's either getting a lot drier or a lot wetter at the moment. And you, so, and you have a farm in Peru. Yeah, so I have an eight-and-a-half-acre farm which uh, we've let go back to, to the jungle. So literally our farm, you can, you can uh, see a tiny little acacia-like seedling uh, one year, and when you go back next year, it's 60 foot high and four inches. Oh, wow. Oh, it's just the jungle grows like crazy, especially in That's our area. Right. So, so right. for us, we just let it go right, back. Right, right, but the problem is that it's, it's gotten too wet to get a crop. Our, our valley specifically, the wet season is very wet, and what's happening now is because it's so wet during the wet season, you're not getting uh, pollination and fruit set at, at the most critical stage so you'll miss out on a large section of the crop cycle so uh, you know I, I, people think of a lot of things that go with chocolate mushrooms usually aren't one of them how did that come about well mushrooms are sort of very much having a, a moment uh, right now extremely that, so yeah. yeah so for us um, uh, adding CBD to chocolate was uh, was perfect because of the synergistic properties of uh, things like anandamide and uh, the neurotransmitting fatty acid that acts on the same uh, cannabinoid system, you know. So uh, mushrooms, again, is another one where uh, people are changing uh, their habits away from things like coffee. Not me personally. I couldn't survive. My coffee machine decided not to work yesterday, and <laughs> I almost killed one of my children. But um, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, one, it's one of those things that uh, people are looking for alternatives. They're looking for health alternatives and, there, and it actually works so beautifully in chocolate. The flavors of, uh, it's very umami. So which, uh, which mushrooms are you? Uh, and you're using powder, mushroom powder? So basically I get whole mushrooms from as close to the source as possible. Uh, for example, things like chaga mushrooms, a, a large sort of burl that grows on the outside of a tree. Uh, it's wild foraged in somewhere like Maine or Alaska, and I buy that through... There's a website called forage.com, which is really good to actually link with uh, f- uh, mushroom foragers all over the country. Um, That's great. Yeah, and, and, but other, other mushrooms, I get whole mushroom, fresh. 
so I know exactly where it comes from. And then I do the whole process of drying, powderizing. But then what I do is I actually put the, the mushroom, the whole mushroom, into my chocolate and grind it for about five days. So we're talking micronized. Oh, wow. We're talking five to ten micron size particles. So it's very absorbable. It's fat encapsulated and it's ready for the body. You know, we don't need necessarily to do extracts ourselves to right. make it available just because of the way that chocolate uh, uh, absorbs through the body with that fat encapsulation. That's awesome. So with mushrooms, like this is my layperson's <clears throat> question, uh, like mushrooms, at least cooking with them, I mean, they'll absorb. You can fuse them with the flavors that you're cooking them with. And I know that that's with like heat, but with just grinding and mixing, you can also infuse the mushroom with whatever you're grinding it with well so so like i was saying before that uh chocolate is is fat and powder and when when you can't taste texture that means a particle is less than 20 micron which is you know 20 microns about the size of a white blood cell so generally after five days of grinding you're in five to ten micron size which is roughly about the size of a, a oh, sorry the white blood cell the red blood cell which is very very small you know so at that point you've literally got uh, uh, micron sized particles but, but, but pra wow. practically speaking you're that means it has a, a velvety texture yeah and that's that's what you want with chocolate chocolate uh, you you literally just want to grind it to the point that you can't t sense the texture that's great. So it's actually you have it in this grinding machine that's running for five days. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's just amazing to me. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's you think really cool. you, th you think sous vide cooking is slow? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, when, when, when you're talking about um, uh, smell um, before, you know, for me, the, the the when I walk in the door, the first thing is what do I smell? Right. You know, what do I smell? What's the subtlety? Because if I walk in the door and I smell something wrong something's happened yeah you know over the night like because because yeah my my machines just grind and there's heat, and there's heat generated from that yeah, as well so right. it gets up to about 120 degrees and okay. that's mostly from the shear and all the shear force of the stone on stone and but it's not hot enough to denature any of the bioactive nutrients within the mushrooms no so um that starts to happen around 300 i think my understanding is between 325 and 350 most of the denaturing of the alkaloids in mushrooms happens from sunlight okay if you grind mushrooms and leave it in the sun that'll do more harm to the actual mushroom uh, alkaloids or, or should i say denature more than the actual physical heat so oh, yeah okay. very interesting and, and how's that been received the chocolate with the mushroom infusions um look i i i make as much as i can and it doesn't stay very long so you know that's a good sign yeah know. yeah <laughs> but you, you were talking about uh, walking in the room uh and uh, the aroma and uh, a while ago uh, Paolo and I talked because uh, I was interested in the the impact of COVID on uh, chefs and uh, I found out that that Paolo had uh, he's a chef he lost his sense of uh, smell and uh, got in a got a terrible taste as a result and this is the first time we've kind of talked uh, about it since right. then but give give a brief explanation of what happened and then how you are now sure sure well i had covid in march of 21 and uh, lost my sense of smell completely uh, originally i had maintained my palate i could still taste stuff but uh, it definitely created a 
pretty unique challenge for me as a chef and um you know i was relying on other people in my kitchen to kind of give me the cues of what was going on because i didn't have that like mike like you said you walk in and you smell something right away and you know something's going on but i didn't have that so um luckily it 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 went away and i'm 99 percent recovered from it every once in a while i it did end up ultimately affecting my palate a little bit and i had this kind of really nasty taste on my palate that shifted and moved and now it's 99 percent gone every once in a while i'll kind of get a weird flavor of something where i go that's not what that's supposed to taste like and, huh. and i think it's still remnants of covid but um, and i know several other chefs that are still kind of dealing with this challenge of, of i mean what a so that's uh, that's long covid i mean that what you're it, yeah it, it is and i i know plenty of people that lost their sense of smell and then it was back two weeks later and it was fine but this was over the course of a year before i really felt better from it um and i didn't have any other long covid symptoms it was literally just my sense of smell that had went away and, wow um you know so and, and you you didn't did you get it yeah um it was yeah it was it was not it was not um not a great time at all i mean the whole you know the whole our whole family was affected we've got um some awesome little people in the house and um it was uh extremely challenging for everyone for sure i mean it was you know but your my sense of smell and taste wasn't impacted which was um super helpful yeah because that happened to a lot of folks that i know and it was it was extremely challenging but you ended up feeling losing horrible your, yeah. yeah horrible yeah yeah but you know losing that ability when you know when when your craft is so deeply rooted in the senses yeah to have that impacted in, in such a way is um, is so challenging. Yeah. I mean, I, that, I mean that was the greatest terror to me. Yeah. As as you know, a food writer, critic, you know, the whole thing. I, I was you know I, I started imagining what that would be like, and uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, you know it would it would yeah, take, I, take take a lot of the joy out of things. I feel like had I lost my my sense of taste completely during that entire year too, I I don't know. I I feel like I would have kind of lost it a little bit and I'm not sure that I would still be sitting here as a chef. I would have had to reconsider. Yeah. You know. It, it's interesting because I've been cooking for so long that that uh I cook by sense of feel a lot. So there's a lot yeah, of intuition. In yeah, I, I taste, but I but I know how much and what it's going to do to the flavor. Right. So ultimately, I can I can cook a dish all the way through the process and not taste it, and and have somebody taste it at the end, and they're like, "It's great, chef." And I and I know this instinctually, but right. but not being able to taste the food, I think would would drive me slightly bonkers, and I'd I'd want to explore other options. Yeah. You know? We are at the top of the hour. I have to do a quick station ID. You are listening to KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. And in addition to that, I have to play a, one short message from an underwriter. Support comes from Longmont Museum's The Cultural Caravan Program, presenting Get Your Mind Out of the Way, new music for cello and piano, featuring Joshua Halpern and Margaret McDonald. Sunday, June 5th at 2.30 p.m. More information at longmontmuseum.org. It's 9 a.m. and you're listening to A Public Affair, and we are having a Nibbles Public Affair this morning as we do the first Thursday of the month. We are here with John Lindorf, Dan Asher, two guests. Uh, Paolo Neville. Yes. And uh, Michael Keynes. Yes, yes, and, indeed. Uh, and we're talking about uh, cho chocolate and COVID. And, yeah. Uh, 
I'm, I'm packaging. Actually, I mean, something that was like in my head from hearing you all talk. This is also, I mean, I remember seeing a study. I don't know if this is still the case, but about a year into the pandemic, there was a survey of which uh, which workers and which industries were hardest hit. And the very tippy top of everybody were people who were line cooks. Yes, we were ju- we were just yeah. talking about that before the show, mm-hmm. and um, I, I I had heard that too, but um, I think it depends on the kitchen, because uh, you know I I I think people know I I worked in restaurants for a while and even as recently as a few years ago, <clears throat> and when you're on the line you you have this incredibly powerful and loud. Uh, hood a fan sucking the air out right next to you that's why uh, back in the day that was uh, i always used to see uh, the cooks in the corner near the near the hood smoking cigarettes and uh, other things um because you know it went away but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily protect you because you have you know when you're away from the line you have exposure to uh, well, visitor, you know, customers and, and stuff. I mean, the line cooks in particular are probably the the most difficult things I've faced in my career was that I literally had to sit down and let go all of my line cooks several times throughout COVID. And it just I mean, it broke my heart. These are they're my family. They're my people. These are the guys that it's I brutal. that I do with day in and day out. And I had to sit them down and say, well, you know, there's no job here right now. And and go back to like basically me and my sous chef mopping the floor at the end of the night and just trying to keep the doors open so it was certainly challenging you know i was fortunate enough to keep a job but my guys weren't and um you know i'm lucky enough that now you know the tail end of of covid that i've still maintained 90 percent of my staff that were with us before covid still works for us so they came back and and were thriving now and and able to that's know, great have those great jobs for them but it was a little sketchy and i and i understand it's part of that labor shortage right now is that people said i don't want to be in this business that's so vulnerable the whole thing shifted yeah, yeah it's, it's so dramatically going, they, we need to find they, a lot of them went and started doing other things that that they knew so many other things would be more reliable than than cooking on a line yes. uh-huh. you know so and a healthier environment as well as if you know the whole guest facing right experience shifted i mean the hospitality industry is very much rooted in being close to people and showing them affection and love in many ways and the fact that that was literally physically shifted because of masks and proximity yeah changed the entire vibe of the of the industry how did that affect chocolate sales by the way because i noticed a shift towards people wanting things that felt comforting and safe and there's nothing more magical than a delicious piece of chocolate yeah um so for us we 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 were just entering the 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 b2c sort of sector for you know so for us we hadn't really developed that big of a market um most of our business was wholesale business to nail salons spas so yeah so we 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 say our cbd product goes to like high-end spas and and those types of uh hotels that take you know very particular product they all closed and Mm. almost overnight we lost almost our entire business and had to struggle to replace that so for us it was a lost a whole lost year 
Okay. Yeah, it was really sad. I, and then I, you shifted mm. to cons- direct to consumer. Well, yeah, we're always pushing that way, but you know, getting direct to consumer now, we're at a point where we only wholesale our CBD products and our mushroom products. Our other product, you have to come to me to get like my specialty things, things that are very unique. It's you have to literally come to my warehouse. Well, and that, that's that's on um... on tw- it's twenty uh, twenty seven forty six forty seven Street, Boulder eight zero three zero one. Right, and so. you have a shitty, like a little uh, a store that you can walk into. And yeah, it's it's literally the converted front office, uh, uh, which we redid. And you can look through. There's a window going into to my food prep area where so you, you can, can see the production. See me in yeah in my uh, that's uh, great chocolate cool. stained. Uh, <laughs> what was that tasting thing you were talking about? A kit oh, that is game of, so fantastic. Yeah, game of four. It, it and it changes every month. So right now I'm just developing the new one. And there's this one I'm doing a 65% um, dark milk from um, Tanzania. You know, and I'm comparing that with an 80% uh, dark chocolate from uh, uh, Ecuador, Camino Verde. So you have a variety of different chocolates and then you have an explanation uh, of what each one is like but it doesn't tell you which one is which and it comes as number one two three and four and you've got to try and sit down and pair it and it's up to nine people with one kit can can all do this tasting Uh, people like to uh, pair it with things and uh, you know so so you can drink wine if you want with it although it's really better to drink port sherry or or whiskey or something or or a beer beer Mm. i think porters and and stouts are much better with chocolate but you can you can literally set up a whole a tasting menu but uh, make it a game. And so this was na- this was named after uh, Game of Thrones. No. Uh, definitely, um, no. no, no, no. <laughs> Except there's there's oh, no man. there's no massacre at the end of it. No, no, and and a lot less nudity, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. No. Well, so I, that's probably a good thing. Again, the number. If you have any questions, listeners, uh, you know, I'm sure many of you go to restaurants on a regular or eat out frequently. Uh, if you want to know what's under the hood at the restaurant, we have uh, people from the industry right here within a phone call away. The number is 303-442. 4242 if you have a question for any of our guests so uh, um, the other thing I wanted to uh, mention uh, Paulo has uh, been exploring a a side area of cuisine that uh, often hasn't been addressed by uh, chefs except when they were uh, having dinner Um, and uh, it involves uh, hot dogs yeah well, you know, this came about actually as a result of COVID to some degree. We were exploring at the restaurant the possibility of opening up a, a cloud kitchen concept. So basically just a to-go, take-out, pick-up concept only where you can like literally just have to pay for that kitchen space. And we started thinking of, well, what, what are some ideas of cloud concepts that we could do and my first one of my things that I thought of was hot dogs and it's just one of those like fun foods that I remember from my childhood and I thought you know everybody loves a good hot dog they also travel well they do they travel well would have been a great cloud kitchen concept and so you know I just started one of the things with COVID I felt that uh, you know everybody just 
needs to have more fun since yes. COVID was just such a, a lot more fun, such a downer. So, but, but every Friday, yeah. So every Friday, I do these little videos that I put all over social media yeah. called, called "Effin Hot Dog Friday," and I make these Thank kind you. of fun, funny ideas for hot dogs, and it kind of took great. off. It took off to the point where I'm now creating this concept and planning on launching my first location of uh, Urban Hot Dog Collective next spring. So that's great. Yeah, so cool. Well, we do have a we do have a caller. With a question, Randy is in Ward. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. Um, my question, will you please repeat the address slowly uh, of where I can get this uh, uh, mushroom-infused chocolate? It's 2746 47th Street, and that's in Boulder. And it's Moksha Chocolate, M-O-K-S-H-A. Yes, and Moksha means freedom from samsara, which is freedom from the cycle of rebirth. So you eat my chocolate, you might well go to heaven. I had, a, I, I, <laughs> I can't assure you, but there's definitely a chance. That, that's absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Bye-bye. And uh, you can... Uh Call us uh, right now and uh, ask questions about uh, hot dogs, hot chocolate, and and uh, many of and many, and many, <laughs> and, and, and many other COVID. things. Where's the? Are you going to be in, in, in near the near the restaurant or your? Uh, I'm kind of open to it right now. I'm in that initial planning stage, so location is going to be somewhere on the front but, range but, to but, be but determined. Seriously, yeah. let's let's talk hot dogs. Yeah, hot, and they they have a sort of a terrible spam like reputation. Sure, you know, parents uh, go through many emotions trying to decide whether they're going to feed hot dogs and then now there are alternative hot dogs and all this stuff plant-based hot dogs i mean uh, oh yeah i mean me, me, me personally having grown up in new england uh, i mean there were there were really good you know hot dogs that were actually made from legitimate meat and yeah, yeah. in a, yeah. in a, in a, in a case in chicago so you know, the, the snap hot, the, the hot dog culture was strong right. but so uh, what 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 hot dog uh, are you uh, using or what do you like well I, you know so i'm really looking to work with some local producers um and have a variety of options for the guests i mean right. I, i'm pretty partial to an all beef vienna dog but the, there's a lot of debate out there of the the big producers but i prefer to look at some more local producers and i'm really interested it's funny that we touch on the mushroom subject because i know that one of the things that i'm i'm going to do is have a really amazing vegan dog and i think that mushrooms are going to be part, oh, yeah. part of that equation um, for sure and, and important for me too because you know if i'm going to be running this place i need to eat and i can't just eat hot dogs all day every day like they're a great i mean you can yeah you you could it's a it's a a great comfort food but something that people definitely indulge in and and if i want you know to not die of a heart attack and be around for my kids i need an amazing vegan dog that i really want to eat and you know uh, there are uh, people making yeah uh, there's a company in denver it used to be called continental um yeah now it's going to charcut nouveau yeah and they make uh real serious they're fantastic uh, uh, dogs and casings they're a little yeah little pricey like and cheddar dog but i bet yeah. i think i don't i'm not sure if river bear uh, uh actually so is doing that but. yeah i've actually got some so it's a good little segue so i do some work for an organization called chow oh, uh, right. yeah which is Great. a yeah. culinary hospitality outreach and wellness and it's basically a, a mental health resource organization for the hospitality uh, industry and, and, and why is it needed uh, um well you know 
as I had just mentioned before with, you know, everything our line cooks have been through and front of the house staff, it's just been rough. And, and mental health is something that's always been kind of swept under the rug in the last several years. So it's it's huge. It's important. And uh, we're actually doing an, an event on June 12th uh, with Chow. It's a wellness in the park at Sloan's Lake. And uh, oh, that's great. It, it's going to be a really cool event. And I'm going to be serving up some cool urban hot dog collective hot that's dogs. Great there as well so, so. And, and it's for cooks and waiters and yeah, anyone uh, in the any, industry any any industry people we're going to have a lot of really uh, cool mental uh, health resources uh, and there's any, been a necessary cultural shift to just be honest about how you're uh, feeling yeah. in general and, yeah. and it's c-h-o-w you can you can yeah, find you, it online yep. it's a wonderful organization i think we have a caller we do have another caller Stephen in lewisville has a question good morning Stephen. hey Stephen. thanks for calling in are you with us Stephen? Stephen does not appear to be with us, so I'm going to just uh, shift into a question that I had for you all. Uh, as far as health and wellness and mental um, just well-being in the industry um, and going back also looping to the staff shortages, uh, give listeners an idea of about how much a, somebody in the industry, like from uh, kitchen help to to wait staff can expect to earn in a month mm-hmm. there's, 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 that's a big question yeah uh, dan in a month yeah, a, cook, a, cook, a cook versus a, a waiter maybe or that's something. an interesting breakdown yeah i think you know notoriously in the industry there was a huge imbalance between revenue from front of house staff versus back of house staff and inevitably um you would look at an equation where someone in the back of house is working you know a a 10 to 14 hour day um you know the hotline can get up to i mean we you know we've got a thermometer monitoring it all the time because we make jokes about it but it's not it's not great i mean you can get in the middle of the summer you can have 120 degree hotlines you're literally working around open flames in a temperature that's 100 to 120 degrees you know, constantly needing to drink water. You can't hop off the line even to go to the bathroom sometimes in the middle of a rush. So it's like the the whole industry is based on putting aside personal needs to take care of others, which is really the essence of nourishing strangers. Um, you know, in its in its core essence is sacrificing where you're at and making sure someone else is feeling good and happy. But inevitably that starts building up and you need a place to, um, you know, to find some sort of balance and peace. So a lot of that ties into what you're making and what you're you know how much value is in um the task that you're that you're doing so what we've seen through covid which started but you know pre-covid as a as a shift in the model because it was not um equitable equitable at all between front of house and back of house Mm -hmm. and you've got front you know front of house staff that comes into work a you know a four to six hour shift um you know in a beautiful dining room and you've got you know the cooks just you know banging it out in the back on the hotline um and you know getting annihilated with stress and intensity and um, open flame and sharp knives and it's a pretty chaotic experience and then you walk into the front of house and it's like you know this beautiful synchronized um, 
you know, Thank space. You. So um, obviously through COVID, what we realized, you know, and before that in the industry was not only is there an imbalance in, in health and wellness, but there's also a huge imbalance in, in wage equity. Um, so a lot of restaurants uh, shifted to a really intelligent service fee model where you basically have a service fee that's charged to the um, guest. And then that fee is then balanced between the front of house staff and the back of the house staff to make up for that gap in a way that makes a lot more sense. Um, a lot of folks don't understand it entirely. A lot of folks feel um, confused by it. But what it really comes down to, be, you know, uh, guests will say, well, why don't you just raise your prices and, um, you know, th then you're able to pay your staff a fair wage. But you, you can't raise your prices like 20% out of nowhere and then just tell guests that it's just going to be used yeah. to take care of staff. That yeah. doesn't make sense. And you want to be transparent with it. So by saying that and saying, hey, we have a, a, a shared service fee model where there's, you know, this fee that already is uh, added to your bill that includes the experience of everything everything that's unfolded and if you had a, sp a specific engagement engagement with your um, with your uh, a server or someone involved in your experience that you wanted to acknowledge above and beyond that there's an, al an aligned to add an additional gratuity amount um, but the whole base of it is so that there's the ability to navigate um, these challenges of being fairly paid for for your labor you know and we're we're at now we're trying to balance it so you know the back of house team um, you know knows that they can walk away optimally at, at in a in a a, uh, framework of making about $20 an hour as kind of a base reference point, yeah. which I think is healthy and necessary. Yeah. So, so Paulo, do, do you do tip sharing? Yeah, so we, uh, as a result of COVID too, and added a 4%, you know, we call it a living wage charge that basically is split up between our back of the house staff. It, as you said, you know, it's that the front of the house would kind of walk in for a four hour shift, four, six hour shift and walk away with 150 bucks in their pocket, whereas the, the kitchen staff is working eight 10 hour shifts and walking away with 80 bucks in their pocket so it was not equal um and so yeah not even it, close to equal no not even close to equal and so we have brought those wages up to 20 22 23 an hour and you know one of the things that i always say to is everybody is working hard and contributing to this experience this guest experience and uh, i've always felt that one you can't say that one's more valuable than the other one. And we've even brought the, the wages of our dishwashers who are typically the, you know, minimum wage people and realizing that they're just as valuable to this process. Um, and bringing those wages up to a livable wage, which is especially difficult in, in Boulder County, as we know, with, you know, housing costs the way they are. But so, so, but even transport, even gas just to get to work. Yeah, yeah I was, yeah. I was going to, the question it's I was, crazy. I, I was mentioning monthly because, uh, you know, in Boulder, typically, if you're going to rent, you need to factor in $1,000 per bedroom. Yeah. So if you have somebody... Is that who, what it is? Yeah. Yeah. $1,000 per bedroom. And you have to think of the, the federal government's definition of what being rent burdened is. And it's paying... But are there one-bedroom spots going for $1,000 rent? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean... I mean, I, I, my girlfriend is an apartment just outside of Boulder that's $2,000 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. I was going to say, 1000 yeah. sounds like a yeah. deal. No, I mean, but if, you're, if you're sharing with other people. Here's, right. Yeah. Here's the question. How many of your employees, Daniel, live in Boulder? Boulder, yeah. Not a lot. Yeah, and you don't. We no. We live up in up in uh, Jamestown. Right. 
And yeah. uh, do, do your employees live in Lafayette or in the vicinity? Uh, typically, yeah. Yeah. Um, just because we're just outside of that Boulder bubble. Um, so most of our staff lives in Lafayette, yeah. Broomfield area. And I, I, just worth saying, too, I, th- I think that the industry has not landed on the full solution here yet at all as far as the wage it's inequality and yeah we're, we have a four percent charge right now but we've been having conversations about removing it and what that looks like and we just we have so much work to do right now to to even out our costs and make it sustainable and profitable that that is part of the conversation and we ultimately would like to get rid of that four percent charge and roll it into our our costs but um it's going to be a process for sure and and a lot of that process in my mind is kind of retraining the customers and the general public to understand what the true value of what they're getting is right i think that the customers don't really haven't understood that for years they they just think you know well you, you always get those customers and say well i could have made this if i could have went to the store and made this for eight dollars and you're charging me 18 it's like well yeah it just shows that they don't understand what they're actually paying for right it's re-educating yeah re-educating the customers as to what they're actually the value of food and service yeah the value of these train i mean i have most of my line cooks have 10 plus years of experience they're very trained and you know professional people and they've honed their craft you know and it they've gotten this bad rap over the years of, well, they're just burger flippers. They're the guys that just drop fries in the fryers, and which is not the case. They're highly skilled people that, um, you know, deserve to, to have a job that is worth working at, you know, so. And part 100%. of that public education is what we're doing right now. Uh, we are taking calls from the public. Stephen has called us back after having some audio issues. Good morning, Stephen. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Well, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Stephen. ties in with um, with the, the ongoing discussion and um, about sticker shock. Uh, do you think consumers will will see prices go down after we get through this period of inflation, or um, or is it more tied into more full recovery and and also being able to support your your staff? you know, with a living wage, is the genie out of the bottle? Will prices ever really go back down to where, to pre, uh, pre-inflation period anyway? That's my question. Thanks. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, this is Paolo, and I, I think that we were all kind of shaking our heads a little bit. As in, yeah, no, I, I think that the genie's out of the bottle, and, and I don't think that we're going to see the the prices go back down necessarily and it's um you know to me it's a it's a shift that's needed to happen for a long time Mm -hmm. in that you know the restaurant industry has notoriously had workers that are underpaid and just live in paycheck to paycheck and and it hasn't we haven't created as an industry a very uh, sustainable career path for many people and and a lot of us it is our career and and that's what we want it to be and uh, it kind of always gets this bad rap as just a very transient business but 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 if it gets too expensive then families yeah. have a hard time going out to yeah. eat and, I mean, and and that you know the chain restaurants you know um have economies of scale and stuff that you know allow them to have a lower 
you know, cost on, on entrees and stuff. Well, there's, right. a, there's a much bigger cost to cheap industrial food. You know, it's not just the food quality. It's not just the food value. It's, it's the impact on yeah, It's planet. everything. So when you start to see this break apart, which I think we are, yeah. I think the flow-on effects are going to change everything that we do and hopefully for the better you know possibly not we're all going to be you know huddling in caves and and fighting over rocks but the reality is that it it's it it is a change that had yeah. to happen I mean, yeah. but but you know like with the uh, chocolate there's a there's a perception of value you know i mean yeah all right so what's what's the range of prices for a bar so anything that's two or three dollars in the store that's and and the the big thing that people talk about, and I think they overemphasize it, is the slavery in chocolate. Okay, that's a terrible thing. I think we can all agree, no one thinks slavery is a good thing, right? right? I think we can just okay, let's get past that. So moving on from that, it's it, I I call that chocolate. It's poverty chocolate. Because what we've got is if you're looking at a 2 or $3 chocolate bar, uh, even a $4 chocolate bar, half of that goes to the retailer. The biggest, uh, uh, the, <laughs> the biggest holder of, of wealth in the chocolate system are the, the retailers that sell it. They take 50% of everything. So that's your Kroger's, that's your Whole Foods, that's your, that's your everyone. Right. And the rest gets broken up in a smaller and smaller portion and right what now. does the farmer actually get? What does the Cents field the workers actually get? Nothing. So but the, the problem, the biggest problem is is the uh, what we call farm gate or fair trade. And every farmer knows what the farm gate or the fair trade price is. That's what stays inside the farm gate or that's what the farmer should be paid. Now, that's usually anywhere between $1.50 to $2 per kilo of finished product. Now, one twenty-five square meter plot of farm which is basically one large tree will grow one kilo of chocolate maybe twice a year if you're lucky so yeah there's not much in it wow well before we go we are in our final five minutes but we do have a caller on the line mary in boulder has a question what's your question mary uh yeah i just had a quick question i really appreciate you guys and um all you do for the food industry and everything thank you and i also think it's great that we're trying to raise the wages and all that stuff it's been needed for a long time obviously but as a consumer and a person that's you know spending a lot of money going out to eat um i kind of was like kind of you know i've gone to a lot of restaurants over my life i'm a foodie a cook and i kind of walk away disappointed sometimes often actually with the food or the service or whatever and i think Yes, I think, oh, I can make that better at home. But believe me, I want you to cook for me, and I want you to do all the dishes and everything. But if you're wa- raising the wages, if you're raising the levels of that, what do you, as from a consumer standpoint, like, how are you increasing my experience? Like, in making my experience, so I want to go back. I mean, I can't tell you how many restaurants I've gone to in the last six months where I've gone, yeah, I really can't afford to pay for that, and it wasn't really worth it. Right. Well, I guess. Yeah. Of course. No, without it, without a doubt, the. And I don't want to complain because you guys have been through so much. Right. You know? but, no. Of course. But, you know, that's not a, that's not an uncommon. No, and I, I I appreciate your your feedback in that regard in in many ways. You know, the the main goal of a restaurant ecosystem is to create a space where you walk in and whatever's been going on in your day is replaced with a feeling of being taken care of and being loved on and getting something that's delicious on a plate and something that's refreshing in a glass. 
And it's a constant process of, of managing those expectations and hopefully either at the very least matching those expectations, but optimally exceeding them every time, um, which becomes more and more challenging when you're looking at, um, you know, having having highly trained staff that is enthusiastically loving on the idea of taking care of people um, and having highly trained folks that are putting out delicious food with a very high level of technique. And what we're trying to get to in the industry is a place where those things can coexist um, in a very successful manner. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's just about um, having an enjoyable time and feeling really good and experiencing an exchange of, um, you know, what you're looking for and what you're getting in return yeah. um, needs to needs to be great and needs to feel but, uh, good. But we were talking before and I was you were saying. Well, you know, now we now we you know we have a lot of teenagers and young yeah. people who have no service experience. I think what she's talking about is actually a, a service problem. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm actually curious of you, you know one last restaurant question for you all is how many what portion of your staff are parents? It's a fantastic question. Um, yeah, I would say not a lot right now i think it was definitely higher before covid um, i would agree and you know as a chef as as far as that to me it's it comes down to finding creative ways to create value for the guests and you know i've shifted from oh let me bring in these high-end ingredients that are costing a lot i could charge all this and make this extravagant dish to really just going back to basics and simplifying things in a way that that I can offer things that are a bit more affordable it goes back to that uh, are the prices up forever they don't have to be on everything and I can be creative with certain ingredients and create a, a perceived value that I don't have to charge an arm and a leg for it. Right. There's, there's ways that we can do that for sure. You can make really good meatloaf instead of doing a beautiful right. lobster tail. Right. Dish. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did I was up at the Stanley for a party for the wedding. Yeah. And uh that my my son got married. And uh $32 for a plate of uh, meatloaf and uh, mashed potatoes. And I said, <laughs> well, it's a hotel restaurant, but right. I said, I don't know. But there's a perception of value. Anyway, we've, uh, we're have we coming up on the uh, end of the hour here. This has been a, an incredible uh, discussion. And uh, thank you, Paolo. Great thank stuff. You, Michael. Thank yeah, you, thanks, thanks, guys. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, you can send your suggestions so to... Uh, support your local restaurants. Support your local chocolatiers. Make sure you're supporting and engaging dialogue with food artisans in our community and folks on the ground in the soil that are doing amazing work to keep us all nourished. And thanks to you all, and thanks to the callers. Stay tuned for the Morning Sound Alternative with D. Ryder.